Cobalt, by the way, is toxic, toxic to touch, toxic to breathe. And every one of these hundreds of thousands of people, including children, including the babies strapped to their mother's backs, are inhaling toxic cobalt dust every day, touching it, breathing it. Uh, it's an utter degradation of human life, quite apart from the enormous environmental destruction. My guest today is Dr. Sidhoth Kara. Sidhoth is a British Academy Global Professor and a visiting scientist at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. He's also an author, researcher, and activist on modern slavery. His latest book is Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives. Cobalt is an essential component to every lithium-ion rechargeable battery. Those are the batteries that power our smartphone, tablets, laptops, and electric vehicles. His book, Cobalt Red, is the first ever expose of the immense toll taken on the people and the environment of the Democratic Republic of the Congo by cobalt mining. I recently sat down with Siddharth, and he told me that roughly 75% of the world's supply of cobalt is mined in the Congo, often by peasants and children in subhuman conditions, and why we must all care about what is happening in the Congo and what we can do about it. Sidhar, thanks so much for coming on the show. I, after I read your book, uh, it just really kept me up at night. And, and folks, the name of the book is Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers All Lives. And Sidhar, this, is, this was a book that not only could you, did you describe something that most people have zero idea about, but the passion that you wrote this book and, and, and the pain, it, it's quite evident. Well, there's an enormous uh, horror taking place in the heart of Africa, and um, it's impossible to bear witness to that horror without uh, there being a, a great deal of intensity uh, of emotion and empathy uh, for what the people of the Congo are enduring in order to support our rechargeable lives. Okay, so so let's back up one, one step here. Uh, the Congo, out of all the places on earth, has been blessed with I think 75% of the world's supply of cobalt is mined in the yeah, Congo. The Congo. Yeah, the Congo is um, uh, teeming in resources. It's been it's, uh, the great curse uh, of the Congo uh, for centuries, and it is home to more reserves of cobalt than the rest of the planet combined. Okay, why is there such a demand for cobalt? Uh, cobalt um, is used in the in lithium-ion rechargeable batteries. Cobalt is used in almost every lithium-ion rechargeable battery made in the world today. So that's just about every smartphone, tablet, laptop, rechargeable gadget, and crucially, uh, electric vehicle. Almost all of them require cobalt in their, in their batteries, and that's what's placing enormous demand to get cobalt out of the ground and up the chain into our gadgets and cars. So every time another iPhone is sold, and I'm just pointing that out because I have one in my hand now, every, the lithium battery that I'm, I'm so happy with the long life that this battery has now, I don't have to recharge it as much. Uh, I have to thank Cobalt for that. It, precisely. Cobalt, uh, it's, it's so vital for these batteries because it allows them to hold maximum energy density while remaining thermally stable. What does that mean? That means you can hold a 
the most possible charge in that battery without it catching on fire. And that's what we want, right? We don't want to plug in our phones three times a day or our laptops three times a day, or certainly an electric vehicle if we buy them, we want driving range. So cobalt is what allows the battery to hold that energy and not catch on fire. Okay. So the Congo uh, is literally uh, ground zero for all of this cobalt, or 75% of the world's cobalt. And how, how is it mined? It's mined in conditions akin to colonial pillage. Uh, cobalt is mined in conditions that would hearken back centuries, uh, not just in times of, not just in terms of technique, but also uh, the degradation of human life and the destruction of the environment. Now, there are industrial mines operating in the Congo using big excavators and, and heavy machinery to pull cobalt out of the ground. But there are also hundreds of thousands of women, men, and children, so-called artisanal miners, a ridiculous term that belies the horrors, uh, 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 the horrible conditions in which they scrounge for cobalt. So they use pickaxes, shovels, rebar, or their bare hands to scavenge cobalt out of the ground and sell it to the formal mining companies and then up the chain into our gadgets and cars. Cobalt, by the way, is toxic, toxic to touch, toxic to breathe. And every one of these hundreds of thousands of people, including children, including the babies strapped to their mother's backs, are inhaling toxic cobalt dust every day, touching it, breathing it. Uh, it's an utter degradation of human life, quite apart from the enormous environmental destruction. Millions of trees have been clear-cut. Mining companies dump toxic industrial effluents into the earth, the air, the water. So the entire mining provinces of the Congo have been completely contaminated, environment destroyed, and people destroyed to feed cobalt up the chain. And how long has this been going on? Since the dawn of the cobalt battery revolution. Um, 2008, nine is when things started. You know, you remember the iPhone came out 2007, Android phones the following year, tablet, I think the first iPad was 2008 or 2009. That sort of kicked off this cobalt battery revolution. Imagine the billions of gadgets that have been uh, sold or purchased by us in that period of time. Every one of the, those batteries requiring cobalt, but things have really exploded in terms of demand for cobalt with the transition from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles, the battery packs in the average e electric vehicle can require up to 10 kilograms of refined cobalt each, which is about a thousand times what you need for a smartphone. And as you see the world transitioning towards electric vehicles to pursue uh, important climate sustainability goals, uh, there's been very little to no attention paid to uh, the conditions at the bottom of those supply chains, namely, especially cobalt, in terms of the destruction of the people and environment in the heart of Africa. So how did you get into this? Because uh, I don't want to give away the book. I'd rather you hear it from you. But you, you heard about this problem, and I want you to take it from there for us. So I've been doing research on modern-day slavery and child labor for almost 23 years now in dozens and dozens of countries. Uh, and about 
2015, 2016, I started hearing some stories from colleagues in the field. Uh, Siddharth, you have to go to Congo. The cobalt mining is, it's really bad. It's really bad. And it's all the batteries. And I remember thinking, wait, cobalt, I thought it was a color. Uh, you know, I had no idea what cobalt was, uh, that it was a, a crucial a battery component metal, uh, that it was mined in the Congo. I, uh, I didn't know anything about the Congo. Uh, it took me a couple of years to plan my first trip, which I took in uh, 2018. And I was prepared to see some pretty bad conditions. I've seen child labor and slavery around the world in uh, horrific horrific conditions at the bottom of other supply chains. So I was prepared. I had experience with um, slavery and the degradation of, of human beings at the bottom of supply chains. But what I saw on that first trip uh, exceeded the most dark nightmares I could have conjured. It, it, it was an absolute hellscape. It's like the moral clock had been dialed back to colonial times, an entire population of people working in grinding and degrading conditions, suffering injuries, shattered bones, toxic contamination, being buried alive in pit wall and tunnel collapses, all for a dollar or two a day in income, by the way. Uh, in addition to that, all the environmental destruction. Uh, it, was, it was like a, a scene from millennia ago, uh, and, and that it was happening in the 21st century at the bottom of trillion dollar supply chains um, left me uh, unable to comprehend what I had witnessed. And, and now with, with the benefit of repeated trips and a deep understanding of what's happening, let me say this. In the entire history of slavery and colonial pillage, there has never been an instance of greater human degradation that generated more profit at the top of the chain and touch the lives of more people around the world than what is happening right now with cobalt and Congo. Artisanal mining, what are we talking about? How much percent of the world's mining uh, mines are being dug with the rebar? You mentioned rebar and hammers. and all. How many people are we talking about? What percentage of, of, of the... Of the, of the uh, of the labor pool is doing this. So if you take a step back and uh, look at what's called artisanal mining around the world, um, and again, this term is ridiculous. It makes you think of people baking bread or something. It, uh, but it's, it's one of those things that stakeholders at the top of the chain do. They choose words that sort of soften or, or utterly misrepresent the truth, the reality. There's nothing quaint about what's happening. So if you take a step back, um, about 90% of the world's mining workforce is so-called artisanal miners. That's people digging with their bare hands in uh, toxic, hazardous conditions. That's children. That's babies on their mother's backs. It's everything um, uh, that's not supposed to be happening in the 21st century to people uh, who are working at the bottom of the global economy. 90%. So that's all the stuff we mine, the copper, the gold, the nickel, the lithium, the, the manganese, uh, uh, and of course, cobalt, uh, is being scrounged out of the ground uh, by some of the poorest people across the global south. And in the case of Congo and cobalt, you have hundreds of thousands of people. It's impossible to know how many 
uh, but hundreds of thousands of people who are contributing uh, at least a third of all cobalt production coming out of the Congo. And the Congo is three-fourths of global production. So we're talking a substantial portion of the world's supply of cobalt is being scrounged out of the ground by human beings in colonial, degrading, slave-like conditions. And so you went there, boots on the ground, you went, and how how, how were you able to get into these areas? Uh, I'm assuming the mine owners, and I got to tell you who the mine owners are, but do they want the public to know this? Wouldn't they have, you know, guards and, and, and threatened, threatened you or anyone else? No, the, this is all supposed to stay hidden. You know, that's, that's where slavery thrives, is in the shadows of the global economy, tucked away, out of sight, um, uh, uh, under, uh, underneath, buried deep underneath layers of marketing puffery put out by companies at the top of the chain, that their supply chains are untainted by human rights abuses. Uh, but um, I got into the Congo, and you know this was now 18 years into my journey of documenting slavery and child labor uh, in, in other very dangerous uh, uh, and challenging conditions. So I had an experience base to draw upon. And the first thing uh, I knew to do was to establish trusted ground relationships. Uh, I, I can't just fly into the Congo and start walking around mines uh, uh, without getting shot. Uh, so I had to build trusted ground relationships, pe people who live and work in mining communities. And through them, uh, was able to gain access uh, into artisanal mining areas, into industrial mining areas, to document what's happening. And most industrial mines are guarded uh, by the army or uh, private military, uh, also known as militias with Kalashnikovs and machetes. Um, artisanal mining areas are often also under militia control. So it's a pretty hazardous area. And the point of all of that armament, all of that violence, uh, is to keep prying eyes out. Uh, because the truth of what's happening is not supposed to uh, escape the Congo. Because then it's a big PR problem for tech and EV companies. That they're building these fortunes and they're peddling us these products that at least in some part are contributing to enormous violence against some of the poorest people in Africa. So the research had to be done very carefully, uh, very cautiously. Uh, there are some places I never saw, even after repeatedly going to the Congo, because it was just too heavily guarded. It was impossible to gain access. And in those cases, I would talk to people who worked in those areas and take their testimonies. Uh, but there are many mines that I went to, industrial mines, artisanal mining areas, hundreds of them, to see exactly what was happening uh, with the mining of so, so describe to me uh, what a mine looks like. Are there trees around it? Is it guarded? Uh, is it is it a nice tucked away area? Are there heavy machineries? What what? A, paint the picture for me. You have to imagine a, an apocalypse, the complete destruction of Earth. Um, there are no trees. When we're talking big open pit industrial mines. Millions of trees have just been clear cut. And I never met anybody who could say they saw one tree being planted to replace them. You see, because that those people and their earth don't count. The same as us and our earth. So you have to imagine just millions of trees clear cut. The earth gouged uh, and dug up and excavated for miles around. And when I say miles, let me be clear. The largest mining concession cobalt 
and copper mining concession in the Congo is the size of London. Hmm. So you have to imagine like an entire city size of earth being destroyed to feed battery metals up the chain. Tens of thousands of people would have lived in that area before the mine came in, the mining company came in. Their, their huts would have been bulldozed. They would have all been kicked out. And so this is what's happening. You see, the local population is being pushed to a cliff's edge as big mines keep excavating, growing and growing. And so then people have no place to live, no way to work, no place to survive. So they go by foot into the mining areas to dig out cobalt because they know they can get a dollar or two that day. And that's the difference between eating and not eating. So it's not just the destruction, this entire hellscape uh, of Earth. It's also the violence committed against people, uh, displacing them, uh, disadvantaging them. Uh, there's no way to survive except to risk your life digging for cobalt. The whole atmosphere is this toxic brown haze. Your eyes burn as you walk around. You can feel this grit in your throat. Because the mining companies are just spitting out toxins. They wouldn't do it in their home countries. But it's okay to do it in Africa. So it's a bleak apocalypse on the ground. There are no birds in the sky. There are no nice streams. There are no flowers. There's no ornaments of nature. Everything has been obliterated in this mad scramble to feed cobalt up the chain. And children, how old are children that are, that are mining for cobalt? Children as young as six years old are in these toxic pits. Um, some of the more difficult work, like digging tunnels, uh, you know, it requires more strength. So it's teenage boys and grown men. Um, but surface digging, you know, just with your bare hands or a small little spade, um, young children, six, seven, eight-year-old children are, are digging at the surface, slowly filling up a sack. Uh, and you also have uh, young girls who rinse stones in, in little uh, ponds or toxic pools of water to get the dirt off to fill the sack little by little by little um, so that by the end of the day, they've got a 40-kilogram a, a sack of cobalt-bearing stones that they can sell for a dollar or two. For the whole bag, for 80 pounds of, co of rock, they're getting a dollar? Yeah, a dollar or two, you know, depending on which part of the copper belt they're in. That's the mining area in the Congo. Um, uh, and what the grade of the cobalt is in the stones that they've collected, they'll get a couple of dollars at most or a dollar or sometimes even less than that. And, and it's not like they have access to markets or bargaining power. They sell to these intermediaries, most of whom are Chinese buyers. Uh, and those intermediaries sell the same sack of cobalt right to the big Chinese mining companies where it gets mixed in with their production uh, before it ever leaves the Congo. So this is important, okay? This is important for everyone to understand. When a tech or EV company tells you, uh, we buy our cobalt from ABC Mining Company and there's no artisanal uh, production at ABC Mining Company. So don't worry about the child labor issues. Don't worry about all this stuff Sid Hart's talking about or any other journalist is talking about or any researcher. Because uh, we, we buy from ABC, and ABC is clean. It's a fiction. Number one, there are always, invariably, artisanal miners, including children, digging inside ABC Mining Company. No matter what anybody tells you, on the ground, that's what you see. Number two, all that artisanal cobalt goes where? 
It's not dug for sport. It's sold to those same mining companies and mixed in with their industrial production before it ever leaves the Congo. So there's no way to disaggregate which cobalt came from a, a tractor and which cobalt came from the hands of a child. Wow. So it's totally untraceable. Once it goes into the system, totally lost, and everyone walks away clean of saying that, well, it's it's not child labor, it's not slavery, it's not from this mine. There's no way to track this stuff. Well, they, they walk away and claim it's clean, but it's tainted and caked in the destruction of human life, including children, in the violation of their human rights, in the destruction of the Congolese environment. How can it be that those people over there and their environment can be destroyed in order to support our rechargeable lives and our transition to uh, renewable energy in the case of electric vehicles? How How is that uh, even remotely acceptable? It's an utter hypocrisy. So no, they're not clean. It, the, the, the clean that they claim isn't even a micron deep because underneath all of that, um, fictional uh, nonsense about clean cobalt and uh, untainted supply chains is the truth on the ground. And the truth is there for any of them to see if they took the time to actually go to the Congo and see where their cobalt is coming from. It's all mixed up before it ever leaves the country. Who owns these mines in the Congo? Is it is it the Congolese government? Is it uh, foreigners? Who, who owns, who gave them permission to build these mines or permits? Most of the mines, most of the big mines, right, uh, are run by Chinese uh, mining companies. Uh, uh, there's about probably 19 major industrial uh, mining concessions in the Congo, in the Copper Belt region of the Congo. That's the southeastern corner uh, where all the cobalt is. And it's called the Copper Belt because that's what was originally discovered by Belgian prospectors back during the colonial time uh, in the early 1900s. And copper down there almost always has cobalt attached to it. Mm. And now the cobalt is what's very valuable. Uh, so there are about 19 big con uh, mining concessions. Remember, these are as big as cities. Uh, and then there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of areas where just the local population digs. About 15 of the 19 big industrial mining concessions are owned by Chinese mining companies. Well, they, they, got there, also, they must have got there early and uh, saw the how, how uh, cobalt was such a vital uh, mineral. They, you're exactly right. Uh, the Chinese government back in 2009 saw the future before anyone else did. Uh, and they signed an agreement with the former president, Joseph Kabila, uh, signed an agreement uh, to provide aid in exchange for, actually loans in exchange for access to mining concessions, and that opened the door. And then Chinese companies just swarmed in. There was a lot of corruption at that time uh, for those deals. The Kabila family, it's now uh, well known that they walked away with large sums of money just parceling out these mining concessions to Chinese mining companies, um, uh, uh, as well as uh, uh, the other main mining company there is Glencore, a Swiss UK-based company, which is uh, under any number of investigations for fraud and bribery and corruption in the Congo. I think they've even settled a couple of them for hundreds of millions of dollars. So corruption was the way things were done. Um, 
the former regime of Joseph Kabila pocketing large sums of money to say, yeah, take that city-sized chunk of territory and tear it apart. So before anyone knew what was happening, China swooped in. Uh, and now everyone's playing catch-up because they dominate the, the supply chain from dirt to battery uh, for the entire rechargeable economy. So the people have no recourse. They can't go to the government. They can't go to uh, the corporations, the Chinese corporations. I, 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 human rights is not something that Chinese are, are known for. So uh, what, what do these people do? Do they just die? They can die? They're dying. Yeah, that's, that's what they do. They die either slowly or quickly. Uh, there's no place for the local population to go. Uh, there are no recourse for them. There are no avenues for justice or recompense. Uh, they are so poor, so vulnerable, so disempowered, and so expendable in the face of the global economy. Uh, the, 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 the forces at play here are the biggest governments in the world and the biggest supply chains, the biggest tech and EV companies in the world. So uh, the, the people of the Congo who live there and uh, subsist on an income of a dollar or two a day. I mean, they're uh, they're powerless in the face of these forces. Uh, so there's there's no way for them to find any uh, recourse or avenue of redress uh, for what they're suffering. Not now, anyway. So now you have children who are being uh, really slaves, uh, working in in hazardous conditions and dying and mining accidents, and it's just a toxic... You want to put your own kid in this area, right? Uh, women, I think you... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm so glad you said that. Because this is really... This gets to the crux of what's happening uh, in this supply chain. We would never send the kids of Cupertino to scrounge in toxic pits and to die in toxic pits. Why is it okay to send the kids to the Congo? Are they worth less? Do they not count the same? Do their parents not love them as much as we love our children? What is the implication of an economic system that makes it okay to destroy those people and their children for our daily lives when we would never treat our own people that way? Now, let's be clear. People like you and I, we cannot function for 24 hours without cobalt from the Congo. Full stop, there's no way. Try surviving and functioning for 24 hours without anything that you plug in. You can't do it. So our entire daily existence functions on the utter destruction of, of these people and the world in which they live in. And we would never tolerate our people over here being treated that way and our environment over here being contaminated and destroyed in that way. Why do we tolerate it over there? And what does it say about our economic order? That this is the net result of how we've constructed things. What does it say about the global economy right now? That this is the, uh, this is the result uh, of how we've constructed our economy, the, the, the ongoing pillage and destruction of African people. So this is like you mentioned uh, in um, with EVs, the big push throughout the world 
is to get us to net zero, to get us every EV replacing uh, uh, gas uh, internal combustion engines. Um, how are they going to increase at a scale of a thousand times to bring all that cobalt to market? How many more, how many hundreds of thousands are going to have to die? We'll never know the tally of, uh, of destroyed lives and environmental destruction. It, it, we'll never know. The, 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 the quantum is just too great. It's too enormous. Um, and, and it all remains heavily obscured by this, uh, this haze uh, of nonsense that's promulgated at the top of the chain. These claims that our, our supply chains are untainted by labor abuses and every participant in our supply chain um, uh, enjoys the full human rights and we have zero tolerance policies on child labor and all that. And so you think, oh, okay, that's f fine. So underneath all those fictions is this enormous pain so so Sid, are you and harm you, you went there right if i was if i was running apple or if i was anywhere in production or the supply chain i had have heard of this you know you you went there you're not uh you didn't get any special treatment you you just got on a plane you had some contacts you got there there was no government agency nothing and you were able to find this out and you had people die in your arms or watch or or some mother mothers cry after finding out their children were buried alive in a mine and, and the security would not let them go and even try to dig them out. What, what kind of disconnect is there between, between companies that are making billions of dollars a year and people who are making a dollar a day? Why is there such a chasm between the two? You know, the only answer, I don't know the answer to that question, but the only answer I can come up with is that those people over there just don't count. You know, the companies at the top of the chain refuse to accept responsibility for what's happening at the bottom of their supply chains. And let's be clear, it's their supply chain. But for tech and EV companies creating enormous demand for cobalt in their gadgets and cars, this entire blood for cobalt economy would not exist. The demand starts at the top of the chain. And so everything that's happening downstream is a consequence of that. All the bad actors, all the harm. And so you get to the bottom and the companies sitting at the top don't look, they don't see, they don't acknowledge what's happening in their supply chains. They don't even go to see. How many tech CEOs have ever stepped foot in the Congo to see where does their cobalt come from? As you said, I went there. I'm not running a tech company. I'm not running an EV company, but I use those products and I felt some amount of responsibility uh, uh, and duty to understand what was happening in order to support my daily life. And yet this, the, the, the CEOs of these companies uh, can't spare a week of their life to go and see for themselves or to send a team. I never saw a team from any company on the ground trying to figure out what's happening here and how can we uh, improve conditions because we rely on these people we rely on the, the minerals in the dirt under their feet where they've been living for generations. Don't we have some obligation to put our own boots on the ground and understand what's happening here and try to address these conditions so we can reassure our shareholders and consumers 
that we're doing everything in our power with our hands on the ground to address these enormous human rights violations. You know, you, you wrote something in your book, which, which was haunting. Uh, you talk about one of the translators for your interviews, Augustine, uh, was so distraught after several days of trying to find the words in English that captured the grief being described in Swahili. So these were the, the, the townsfolk, the, 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 these miners uh, interpreting. He was interpreting for you what was going on. And you're right, he would at times drop his head and sob before attempting to translate what was said. As we parted ways, Augustine had this to say, please tell the people in your country a child in the Congo dies every day so that they can plug in their phone. Yeah, I, I remember that day. Uh, I remember that moment. I remember the look on his face. I remember all the interviews that he helped translate for me. Uh, there was so much pain. And, you know, you have to imagine a parent, a mother or a father, describing the moments that they learned that their child had been buried alive in a tunnel collapse. The grief, the terror, the, the enormous anguish, the, the unimaginable torment of it all. And, and my translator, you know, he wasn't prepared for that and he would try to find the words you know and he couldn't at times and it was it was a heavy toll um and that was his that was his summation of our experiences that the people the, the people in my world need to understand please tell them we're dying here every day our children are dying every day so you can plug in your phones that was that was the distillation of that series of encounters. And it doesn't get any simpler and more horrible than that. In, in fact, the tragedy of it all is it's not complicated. It's not even necessary. All of this pain could be prevented if the, if the stakeholders at the top of the chain just cared enough. And these little micro encounters of me and a, a mother with a translator by my side, uh, or me and a father with a translator. In that, in, that little, in that little moment, there is such an eruption of suffering and pain that comes forth. And then you multiply that by an entire population of people, and it goes beyond any measure. What, what those people are having to suffer in silence. And, and that's why that's why Augustine said, please tell your people what's happening here, that our kids die so you can plug in your phones because it's otherwise all happening in this abyss of silence buried beneath the rock and rubble of our global economy. What I, what I found troubling, really just really troubling to me, and it got me thinking uh, to the point where I would step in, I just thinking through this, is that these parents did not want these kids to go to the mines. Uh, many of them were telling you that if we had the extra dollar, he was going to go to university to be a teacher. He wanted to go to school. But just to, just to exist on $5 a day, you need five, six people digging all day. 
I'm, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, sometimes outside of Africa, out in our world, we think, oh, well, you know, parents are taking their kids uh, to work. So what do they expect is going to happen? Uh, they should have them in school. Uh, you know, as if those parents are somehow uh, ignorant or selfish um, or foolhardy. It's quite the contrary. All, all those mothers and fathers know how important it is for the children to get an education, the education that they themselves probably didn't get. Uh, and because they work in a piece rate informal economy, and what that means is you get paid for the weight of what you produce. So one 40 kilogram sack of copper cobalt ore is a dollar or two. And so a family of five people can maybe produce two or three sacks. So in the aggregate, they're getting five or six dollars as a family. So that's with children contributing. So that's base survival money. That's And if you take the children out of the equation, they can't earn enough to eat. And so whenever you have that kind of system at the bottom of a supply chain, parents are forced to take children out of school and forced to bring them and help the whole unit work in order, in order to survive. And they would, all of them, every one of them say, parents that is, I want my child to be in school. We just can't, we can't survive otherwise. We can't afford to keep them in school because we won't be able to eat. And the fact that they're faced with that devil's bargain uh, means that not only has the local economy, the, the, the Congolese government failed these people, which is important to acknowledge, uh, but the entire global economic order has failed these people because there's no reason why anybody at the bottom of our $1,000 smartphone supply chain or $100,000 EV supply chain needs to uh, work in conditions where they can barely survive. So I, I just looked up, right? Uh, a smartphone has about eight grams of refined cobalt. What does that cost? Give me, a, give me a, just a ballpark number. So uh, the the cost of refined cobalt on the London Metal Exchange um, is probably, I haven't looked at it recently, but probably something like uh, $40, $50 a kilogram. A kilogram. So uh, this is eight grams. Yeah, kilograms. Okay. Yeah, this is in grams. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a thousand. So th let me, because I'm an American, so I don't know metro, uh, the metric system. <laughs> well, a thousand grams is 40, let's call it $50. Right, a thousand. So this yeah, is. Call, call it 50 bucks. Okay. Yeah. This is eight grams, which comes it's, out. It's almost, yeah. It's not that much. Okay. So, so eight grams. So out of the iPhone cost, let's say the wholesale cost is $700. You're talking about right. a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. So yes. if Apple decided, and I'm only picking on Apple simply because I have an Apple phone here, but it could be anybody who buys a battery, uh, builds a school or plants trees or uh, gives safety equipment, goggles, gloves, these people, I think they were barefoot, most of them, in a toxic environment, It'll increase the cost of your iPhone by three cents. Like, what? What's that going to do? De, de minimis. It's a non-figure, right? I mean, it's a, you, you call it even a dollar. Let's say we go from seven hundred to seven hundred and one dollars. I mean, it's a de minimis amount of money 
that once you get once you multiply that by all the phones and you put that down at the bottom of the chain just that extra dollar let's just call it a dollar uh, and you just put that to the bottom then suddenly you're probably paying mother and father $15 a day instead of one or two that means they can keep children in school that means they can buy clothes and food uh, that means they have uh, uh, enough saved up in case someone gets sick and they can get medicines. Um, add another dollar, and now you're building schools, public health clinics, expanding sanitation and electrification, creating financial literacy programs so people can understand how to save money and so on. It's a dimini- It's a rounding error on the balance sheets of these companies to solve the problem. What does it cost, as you mentioned, to give uh, mom and dad goggles, gloves, boots, and a mask so that they're not being contaminated? Do you know that there is a pandemic of birth defects happening in that part of the Congo because mother and father are being contaminated every day, and when they conceive a child, that child is born with all kinds of Uh, deformations and other birth defects. Cancers are on the rise, respiratory ailments, acute dermatitis, um, thyroid disease, neurological ailments. Everyone's being poisoned and is dying slowly and all they would need is a mask, some goggles, gloves, boots. How much would that cost? You know, know, Um, it's like the argument can't even be made that like with sweatshops in China or, you know, bring it to America is... Well, we still want our cheap stuff from Amazon. You know, we still want to buy cheap goods. You know, eight cents, eight grams is what you know, five cents a gram at that market. Even it's forty extra cents, fifty extra cents, double. It's eighty cents. It's insignificant, insignificant. And um, uh, I, I'm just not getting you. You have one chapter in the book uh, uh, where a lady actually tells you, "We work in our graves," and. Uh, Villages are flattened, the forests are raised, uh, behemoth open pits, uh, tunnels that collapse that don't have any air shafts, any support. And these people are dying by the thousands, by the thousands. And I'm just not getting it. Why, why don't I know about this? Hopefully the world is starting to learn. Uh, with with the publication of Cobalt Red, it's the first book that is uh, flooding the world with this truth of what's happening uh, at the bottom of these supply chains. Hopefully the world is starting to know. You and I are having a conversation. People will listen to this conversation. Hopefully thousands of people will listen to this conversation, and they're going to learn. And then they're going to tell someone, and this is how change starts. First, the world has to learn of a horror. Now, why did we not know till this point? Well, we're, let's say, 12 years or so into this cobalt scramble, so it's not been that long um, uh, in one sense. Uh, it took a few years for uh, even some journalists and NGO workers to catch on uh, what was happening down in the Congo. Uh, uh, and it's also hard to get in there and find the truth. And that's, a, that's another important reason um, uh, why the world doesn't know. Uh, these are heavily guarded areas. And when companies at the top of the chain put out their statements that, you know, everything's fine, 
we tend to say, oh, okay, let me upgrade and carry on with my life. Well, that's changing now. And every conversation that people have is spreading the voices of the ground out into a world that is slowly learning that their lives are supported, their rechargeable lives are supported by an enormous violence in Africa. So Siddharth, you know, what you did is beyond, uh, you put your life at risk uh, several times. Uh, you have a family, you're not a superman, you're a regular guy who uh, has a family, who has a child. Child, one child, two children, I, I don't remember. Uh, one. One child, uh, a wife who loves you, and you went and risked your lives for these people, and just to get the word out. And that's why I was so troubled when, after reading your book, I went on YouTube. I said, wow, there's probably be nothing on this. I saw videos from six years ago on YouTube, 700,000 views. Uh, another video from a year ago, from five months ago, from four years ago. And I'm saying to myself, my gosh, is, this is not some secret. Uh, five years ago, revisiting the cobalt mining boys. So this was done by Sky News afterwards. Afterwards. Uh, seven years ago, Amnesty International. This is why. This is what we die for. Child labor in the DRC cobalt mines. What's going? Fortune magazine. Four years ago, blood, sweat, and batteries inside Congo's cobalt mines. Tell me where the disconnect is. Why isn't this? Why isn't this front page news? Why isn't? Why hasn't this been stopped already? It's Africans don't count. They don't count the same as us. Uh, that's part of the reason. Um, that's an essential part of the reason. But the other part of it is the companies at the top of the chain, you know, these stories come out that you're, that you're discussing five years ago, four years ago, six years ago, um, people finding uh, and bringing out uh, some piece of this horror to the world. And it all gets crushed by the enormous marketing puffery from these companies that say, well, okay, maybe there's some problems, but it's not in my supply chain. Don't you worry. Mine is clean. We've made sure of it. We only buy from ABC Mining Company, and there's no child labor, child, children working over there. Well, and they all say that. Well, if that's true for all these companies, then where is all that child mine cobalt going? If it's not in any of their supply chains, you just go down the list of tech companies and EV companies. They all say, okay, there's some problems on the ground. Yeah, we saw that report from five years ago, and, and Sky News was down there four years ago, and but that's someone else, not, not me. If that's true for all of them, where's it all going? Because those kids aren't digging the cobalt for sport. Uh, it all goes into the formal supply chain. It all goes into their supply chains. And that's the truth that is that is slowly emerging. And th this disconnect that has existed for this period of time between the horror at the ground and the fictions told at the top of the chain, that's slowly getting dispelled. With each new story, each new conversation, each new effort to get the truth out into the world, these companies can't keep claiming, well, okay, whatever's happening isn't in my supply chain because there's too much cobalt being dug out of the ground by these hundreds of thousands of people for nobody to be buying. So, so what do you say to someone who says, look, this is, uh, this is a sovereign country. Uh, they have their own form of government. They should have their own 
their own checks and balances and what happens. And if they're not doing anything, what do I care? Well, Congo, you know, you have to imagine a country, entire heart of the African continent, an enormous country with 80, 90 million people there. Uh, and their entire national budget is the same, roughly the same as the state of Idaho, which has one fiftieth the number of people. So you have a grindingly poor country with no money that is beset by violence uh, on every border it has. The eastern part of that country is still a war zone, leading back all the way back to the Rwandan genocide. It never stopped for the people in the Congo. There's violence all up and down the eastern part of that country. You have a country that only gained independence in 1960, and no sooner had it gained independence than did its former colonial powers descend on the country, take over the mining sector, which was about 80% of government income at independence, uh, and secede it from the nation. It's just been one mess after another for that country, uh, uh, from war to neo-colonial interference. Uh, the Congo never had a chance. Um, from, the, from the moment uh, it was independent and leading before that during the colonial period, it's just been pillaged for generations. So it is an impossible task to ask a country that has no money, that is beset by violence, and that has been subject to foreign interference for centuries uh, to, to pick itself up and start governing itself and managing that enormous territory in an effective manner. It needs help. It needs help from those availing of its people and its resources. There's not a single American company on the ground in the Congo. There are American companies buying up all that cobalt uh, at the top of the chain but they're not on the ground. And that's where they need to be because we do have the financial wherewithal, the technical capacity, uh, and theoretically the human rights standards to get on the ground and help those communities. So what about the United Nations, for example? Uh, UN has a very mixed relationship, mixed history with the Congo. Um, and it's not not necessarily a good one. Uh, there have been UN peacekeeping forces in various parts of the Congo, again, since independence. Um, it's very hard for the UN to have any real impact um, uh, on the ground in the Congo. Number one, because of lack of scale. Number two, a lack of resources. Number three, limit limit on mandates. You know, they're not there to do humanitarian work, to build schools. They're, they're largely to keep militia groups from running amok uh, in the eastern part of the country. There are UN agencies. UNICEF has built some schools. Um, USAID is on the ground. Australian aid's on the ground. UK uh, uh, aid agencies are on the ground doing little bits and pieces, but it's all drops. It's drops in the bucket, and nobody's addressing the horror of cobalt mining. So what's your plan? This is how change happens. This is how it's always happened throughout history. There's some horror taking place and truth seekers go and find it and bring it out to the attention of the world. They flood the world with the truth of a horror. And inevitably and invariably, 
this activates a community of conscience. People who declare, no, not on my time, not on my watch. I will not be a participant in a civilization that permits this kind of horror to take place. The first efforts to abolish slavery started that way. Uh, uh, every advancement in human rights starts in that way. Um, uh, what are the right levers that have to be pulled and pushed and tugged to, to uh, achieve sustained ground impact remains to be seen. It'll be, probably be a mix of ground up agitation by a community of conscience, as well as top down regulatory action uh, to compel companies to take responsibility for their supply chains. If they were going to self-regulate, they'd have done it by now. If they were going to sort out their supply chains on their own, they would have done it by now. So they'll have to be compelled to, either through consumer agitation and clamoring or top-down regulatory enforcement. And there are laws on the books in this country that could be applied tomorrow to help achieve that. Under the Trade Facilitation Act of 2016, you can be prohibited from importing any good made in part or in whole through child labor. You apply that to cobalt and suddenly it all comes to a grinding halt. And I, I dare say the companies selling us phones and cars will start paying attention to the human rights of the people in the Congo. I just, I just, we've applied this, no, no, we've so, applied this law no, please. To, to China, yeah. right? To the Uyghur situation, uh, solar panels and other things. So uh, we just need to start applying some of these regulations. And then there's a community of conscience that will get access and we'll clamor for change and accountability. And then we will achieve progress, but it starts with the world learning the truth. You know, I just find it so, uh, the irony is amazing of uh, the tech companies and the social justice that they promote. And not only promote, I shouldn't say promote, flaunt. Uh, and, and here, right, you know, a, a, an essential part that is in every piece of technology, and I would assume in semiconductors, right, it would have to be definitely in, uh, in chips. And chip making? Is that also? You know, e e evil doesn't walk in with the curly mustache, you know, and the yellow teeth and the scowl. It, it, it's always the shiny, pretty face you never see coming. And so we have this shiny tech world and this shiny aspiration of the EV transition. And at least the battery part of it is built on violence. And that is the truth that the world has to know and understand yep. and that these companies have to address. No one is saying, stop using phones. Don't buy an EV. It's not your responsibility or my responsibility as consumers to go fix what's happening in the Congo. In fact, you and I have been made unwitting participants in this violence. When you buy a phone, and I can see your uh, Apple laptop there, you bought that, you plug it in, you don't think I'm plugging in the death of a child in the Congo. And when you buy an EV thinking you're making a green choice, you don't think you're destroying the environment and people of the Congo. So we've all been made unwitting participants in this enormous violence, and that should outrage us. You should, you know, just, I'm just thinking, you know, when you're hearing all of this transition to electric vehicles, you must shudder. You must say, oh my gosh, please not, you know, a thousand times more. If this, if, if, if the supply chain isn't addressed, <clears throat> what's happening now is only going to be incalculably worse. So, so I mean, 
if you look at projections for future demand, you know, as we go from, what is it, 25, 28 million EVs on the road now to 200, 300 million in 2035 yeah, or no, 2040. No, yeah, in the last, you know, just the last couple of years, it's been increasing, but uh, we're still, we're 290 million vehicles in the United States. Let's call it uh, 3%. So you're looking at 280 uh, 9 million EVs, and that'll grow. So each EV is a thousand, was it, I, I, still, I still have to keep checking, a thousand yeah, it's times a, it's more. Up to, t- up to 10, up to 10, ki- up to two bowling balls, okay? Two bowling balls of cobalt. And we're just measuring these in grams and to dig this stuff out. So it's going to be exponential. And, uh, and, uh, yes. and, and uh, when you hear this green energy from the president, administration, and all these good feeling people, they're causing the destruction of millions. But the, the problem that I see here is why why aren't the tech the tech companies, the end user, not the end user, the, the, the technology companies putting this all together, why aren't they coming out in front of it and saying, you know, we know this? Because the, the cost can't be that much money. I don't think it's the money part, is it? It's not the money part. It can't be. Money part is de minimis. It's not the. It's not that it's too complicated. Figuring out how to manufacture and design a smartphone is more complicated. Figuring out how to uh, uh, produce automobiles at scale—that's complicated. Uh, giving some people some gloves and hats, gloves and masks—that's not complicated. Uh, building some school, that's not complicated. But, but, but so can, 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 can they say basically, look, these are these are run by Chinese companies. Uh, there's only so much we can do. And if the Chinese companies don't want to do it, you know, look, we can give them the money, but probably be swallowed up and, and, and pocketed. But we don't own these mines. I don't think there are any American companies that own any mines there. I think we have we have zero representation there now. If the Freeport pulled out in 06, 08, or somewhere around there. So we have none of these mines are are, are American owned. Uh, it's it's sad, but if they were, I think we'd have much more leverage. Uh, you're right. I think so. That said, I think we have to take the we have to take that argument and flip it around. Right now, you're right. Uh, a tech or EV company will say, "Hey, you know what am I supposed to do? I'm buying the battery from that Chinese company." And that battery Chinese company is buying the cobalt from some Chinese mining company, and they're the ones on the ground. So what am I supposed to do? Doesn't that sound awfully like a cop-out? You know, you just say, well, it's someone else's responsibility. Even though I'm buying it, it's still someone else's responsibility, and I'm going to throw up my hands and say it's too complicated. I don't accept that. I think if you, if, if the, especially the big ones, if they were to say, okay, say Apple, Google, Tesla, whoever. We're not picking on them, just naming companies here, the big ones. If they got boots on the ground in the Congo and said, okay, I am not buying cobalt that I cannot see with my eyes is untainted by human rights violations and environmental destruction. You don't think conditions would change? Their enormous buying power wouldn't and the, the market economy forces of their buying power wouldn't create change if they were took the time and effort to be on the ground rather than sitting back at headquarters and just pointing their finger downstream. You see, when when everybody's pointing their finger downstream, 
uh, it's that person's fault, uh, responsibility. It's the mining company. It's a battery. And they're all pointing their finger downstream. The last finger is pointed at the kid buried alive in a tunnel. Or the family caked in toxic filth. And they're left holding the bag, literally. Because no one is accepting responsibility for them, even though everyone is generating enormous fortunes on the backs of their labor. So I don't accept the argument that, well, it's someone else's responsibility. Demand started at the top. You break it, you fix it. So they have to be on the ground where their cobalt is being dug. And yes, it may pass through various hands and so on on the way to the top, but the whole chain only exists because they created demand for it and they should be on the ground. And by the way, they all claim already that their supply chains are untainted by human rights abuses. So no one's asking them to do anything they don't already claim is true. They all say, mining is all done sustainably. Every participant in our supply chain is ensured human rights. We adhere to human rights norms. There's no child labor. So they, they make all these claims already, and yet none of them are on the ground to see, well, is that actually true? It's, it's unlike what happened with the sweatshops where they made you uh, check inspections. What was that, the sweatshops in China? That was driven by the consumer or that was driven by the company? No, listen, it, it's, it's always the profit motive. Okay. If you're, if you're a company, you're a, a, particularly a publicly traded company, you have under the most basic economic system capitalist theory, your obligation is to maximize shareholder value. All right. So that means boosting profits, which means cutting costs. And so companies scour the world for the lowest cost labor environment because labor is almost always the highest cost of running any business. You have to pay people. That's why slavery was devised. Well, let's not pay anybody anything. Okay. And so you just have shades of that in the modern era. Where's the cheapest workforce? Is it in China? Is it in Bangladesh? Is it in Jamaica? Is it in Philippines? It's, it's never in our back door, backyard, right? Because we would actually have to treat people properly here and pay people properly here and give them benefits and so on um, uh, and safety equipment. So a company will scour the world and say, where's the cheapest labor force? And, and where are the resources that I need? Uh, and, and so that's what drives this. You know, that's what drives this impetus to find underregulated labor markets where human rights are dispensable and sustainability practices are optional. Uh, and then you have the chain. You have that abuse at the bottom feeding into the profitability at the top. Each quarter, we're returning more and more value to shareholders. CEO is doing his or her job. Task finished. You know, we took, I don't know how many years it took for blood diamonds to be a thing where now, uh, now my, 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 my kids who were in their 20s and 30s, they would never think about buying a uh, blood diamond. It would only be a uh, lab-grown diamond. Uh, how dare you even think that? So it took, you know, a good 30 years or so, 40 years, and there were movies with uh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, a movie about the blood diamonds and the whole thing. And and it took a long time, so I guess. Uh, but but here it just seems so. It seems like a slam dunk, especially people who are buying EVs 
are socially conscious, are socially aware, are environmentally aware, and to let them know where things are coming from, uh, you would think, and especially it's not going to increase the price by much, you know, what are we talking about? You know, in the, in the scheme of things, it's not even much. Um, I don't know. There just seems to be something something that's missing here. I, I just can't put my finger on it because it seems too logical for the solution to take play, for a solution to play out. Yet what's holding it back? Like if you would sit down with Tim Cook, what could be, what, what could he possibly say? Uh, I, I, I signed off on this. I know it's good. We know that's not the case because then a guy like you would come with me, come on a plane, Let's fly in your first class. Let's fly in your private plane, and we'll get there. And I'll, I'll take you to the people I met. So, so what? What am I missing? Uh, yeah. The, no, well, there's a few a few important things you said. You know, the, the blood diamond movement. Um, it took time. Uh, the truth came out. It flooded the world. Uh, there were big Hollywood movies about it, and everyone came to a point. Community of conscience came to the point and said, "I won't contribute to this. I'm not going to buy a ring, put it on my fiance's finger." knowing that kids were chopped to pieces for it, right? And as your kids who are maybe in the market for a ring will say, I'll get a lab grown or something else. I'm not going to contribute to that. So people are, with their conscience, making a choice not to contribute to violence. Now, there also were protocols established, like the Kimberly process, to ensure that diamonds are mined in a responsible manner. And it may not be perfect, but it's something, right? So there's progress. And people can make a choice. I think the difference here is, you know, a diamond may be once or twice in a lifetime purchase, but we're buying this stuff and using it every day, and we can't function without it. You can certainly get through a lifetime without a diamond, easily. Uh, you can't get through your lifetime without your smartphone or your laptop No, no, I think the most exciting thing about, about, about a Tesla, for example, is the long range. Uh, the latest iPhone, first thing, how much battery charge does it have? Uh, my MacBook, all of this is points down to one thing, and that's cobalt, which is, which is doing yes. this. So uh, just to put a, just a, a final word on this, uh, and, and that even sounds so, so crass and so, uh, so arrogant, but we could talk for hours on this uh, because it, that's how important it is. Uh, what, what would be the next step? You mentioned awareness. Okay, my listeners now are aware. Now what? Well, as individuals, we have choices to make right now today. As I said, you and I, your listeners, we can't solve these problems tomorrow, but we have choices to make. You know, we've been marketed this idea that we have to upgrade our phone every year. You know, the camera's a little better or the lens is a little wider. The processor is a little faster. The charge lasts longer, whatever it is, right? Do, you, do we really need to upgrade our phone every year? Because that's part of what creates demand. And that demand pressure goes down the chain to these kids in the Congo. Um, so we have consumer choices that we can make. Yeah, but, but, but um, let me stop you a second. Let's say we did that, yeah. right? Let's say we did that. Those people are, are they're, they're, they're now, now we need less miners. Now, if we had five people digging for a dollar a day at $5, now only three are going to be digging for $3 because they're not going to pay anymore. So now we saw, started a new problem. Well, so in tandem to that, in tandem to our consumer choices, is that we have to agitate for change. Uh, we have to be in touch with our uh, 
uh, elected officials and representatives. And there's there's murmurings in D.C., believe me. You know, I get emails from uh, the odd congressperson saying, wait a minute, I just found out about this. We, we need to be doing so something. So let me ask you, you, know, let me, let me ask you a question. Did you send your book out to, to, to 435 congressmen, congresspeople, and, and, and 100 senators? Oh, that's 500 books. That would be a... <laughs> Yeah. There would be a lot of books for me to get. Uh, no, uh, I did not well, send Well, let me um, ask you something. Let me ask you something because we have my listeners on the thing. Why don't you start a GoFundMe? And I'd be the first contributor to send 500 books with a personal letter from you to the people in power, to 535 representatives of, 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 of the people. One of them. Let's do it. What, yes, let's do it. I mean... It just takes a handful, right, to start. All you need is one. All you, all you need is one congressman or senator of influence. That's fair enough to start some sort of movement with some okay, bills, so, so could some I, regulatory could, could I, movement, could I or as I said, applying the Trade Facilitation Act. Could I challenge you to start that, that uh, or maybe even call up your publisher and have them donate the books? Absolutely. I will contact or, them. We'll or, figure it or out. Or go, we'll get it. Or go fund we'll, me. You know, you were on Joe Rogan, right? So yeah. millions of people heard you. And uh, Absolutely. you get this yes. book in people's hands. Like I read it and I was like, I, I can't believe what I'm reading. Uh, and, and, and your writing style is like, you're up close and personal. It's, it's terrible. I, I say that in a nice way. It's terrible. Uh, so I'm thinking, I, I, I love, you know, I, I really, admi- I don't admire, I, I'm in awe of your passion of your, of, of, of your courage, because this takes a lot of courage. Uh, and I'm just thinking to myself, you know, change every day, you know, thousands of people, kids are dying. And, and yes, absolutely. So, so ultimately, so what are we, we waiting ultimately, for? Ultimately, these companies have to be regulated into proper behavior. If they were going to, if they were going to behave in a, in a dignified manner uh, for the people of the Congo, of their own accord, they would have done it by now. They're, they will have well, that to ain't be happening. compelled. That ain't happening. It ha- yeah, that that's ain't right. Happen. It's it, not it happen. really has to be, they have to be called out. That's all. That, that's yes. really it. I, I agree. I agree. Um, and it will require uh, courageous policymakers to take a stand in this country and other countries. Well, well hang on. Every hang on. Country- you, you've done your work. You, you've you've done the, the the bulkhead of this. So, so you, you've, you, you presented them with a 300-page uh, first-hand account of what's going on there, and you're still living, so they can call you and say, "Did this happen?" And I'm sure you can get some of those people, your interpreters, or the people there on the ground, to come to Washington. That's not going to be an issue. Correct. Right? I, I, I'm happy to show them the photos and videos from the ground too. You know, the, uh, there's the truth is there. It's okay. available uh, for anyone with a compassionate heart and a conscience to access, and that includes the CEOs of these companies. Yeah, yeah. I think now that we know, you, you know, you can't, you, once you hear this podcast, uh, and now that you know this information, you, you can't be the same person you were before. Now, you, now, now you're on notice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the clock is ticking. Uh, and yeah. so we're all on notice, every one of yeah. us, uh, of what are we going to do about this? Well, well, so Siddharth, you know, we'll talk of a couple of ideas, but uh, I think first thing is, uh, start a GoFundMe, I'll put it in the description. Uh, books 20 bucks or so everyone could just you know 20 bucks we get 500 people or some people do two or three books uh, you could send them out in a heartbeat and I'm telling you 535 books in the hands of elected officials something has to you got to get one and there got to be one out there yeah there's at least at least one 
you know, uh, someone of conscience. Uh, I'll, I'll write to my publisher yeah. as soon as we're done, and let's uh, let's yeah. get it cooking. Beautiful, beautiful, folks. The name of the book is Cobalt Red: How the Blood of the Congo Powers All Lives. There are a few books that you read that actually change the way you think or shake you. This is one of them. I highly recommend you go out and read this book. Uh, as Sid Hart said, he's not saying don't use iPhones, uh, don't buy Teslas, but uh, it, it takes so little to change the facts on the ground, such as getting these people gloves, get these people goggles. You know, building a school, how much could a school be? You know, just or just child. You know, it, one of the things was haunting a 14-year-old girl with two twins on her back, two months old, digging in this toxic cesspool. Uh, well, look, the Almighty will call us to account for this now that we know. Well said. Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, Sid Hart, God bless you. Keep doing the great work that you're doing. And uh, and uh, I, I totally agree. You know, it has to start somewhere. You know, the, all these great movements and slavery took decades before people realized how terrible it was. So this might too, but yeah. it has to start somewhere. It has to start somewhere. The first movement to abolish slavery started when 12 people got together on May 2nd, 1787 at a printing shop in London at a time when slavery was the way of things the Church of England had slaves. And hmm. they said, this cannot stand. And they prevailed. It took them decades, but they prevailed. Wow. Okay. Siddharth, thanks so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. And we got have to have you on the show again uh, as a follow-up to see, hopefully, six months to a year from now, you'll be telling me that there's legislation in Congress, uh, there's some movement that uh, everything's heading in the right direction, which I really believe will happen. Thanks so much, Siddharth. Uh, thank, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on the Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.